0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Who here enjoys cliffhangers? Like what's a cliffhanger, right? A cliffhanger is... That was a cliffhanger. See what I did there? It was Oh, man, there were jokes on jokes, right? Who here enjoys cliffhangers like when you're, you're watching a TV show and it gets to the, the end of the TV show and there's, there's like a situation that hasn't yet been resolved and then the credits roll? It's less of a, less of a problem now, isn't it, right? Because you're on Netflix, you get to the cliffhanger, the credits roll, and you're like, I guess we're just going to watch another episode. That's fine. And you just go to the next episode. But it used to be, back in the days, right, uh, TV wasn't on demand, it was, you had to schedule yourself. You had to show up in front of the, does anyone remember this, right? In front of this, this huge TV, like really big box. There's this big tube in it, it hummed, right? You had to get the, the bunny ears just right. And sometimes a, a show would finish and it wasn't until next week that you got to find out what happened. I, I, it still happens to me, but I hate those kind of, it's kind of more arthousey movies. And, and, and the plot's just about to get resolved and then it fades to black. And you're like, fade back in, right? Like there should be another scene, I don't know what happens. Did they make it? Did they not make it, right? I'm trying to avoid any spoilers of any particular movies at the moment. But you know, there's that moment and then the credits roll and you're like, uh, no. Anyone anyone ever had that feeling? I just sunk like an hour and a half into this movie and now I don't know if they made it out or not. I don't know if this resolved. I hate that feeling. I hate cliffhangers, I have to be honest. Em loves them, right? Em's all about she'll watch the psychological thrillers and the crime shows and she loves those moments. But me, they just make me really uncomfortable. They made me feel really tense and really like, uh, and, and I think that this moment in 2 Kings is kind of like that. There's a cliffhanger, right? They show up, and, and, and we'll explain what's happening in a minute, but he walks outside, the servant of Elisha, and he's surrounded by this enemy army. And then, and then he, you know, he talks to Elisha, and Elisha said, God's going to open your eyes. And he looks out, and he sees chariots of fire surrounding them. And he's like, man, what, what is going on here? The other types of movies that I, I really find hard, they're not so much cliffhangers, but like disaster comedies. Does anyone know what I mean when I say disaster comedies? It's like those comedies where everything goes wrong. Yeah, like someone's just having an unfortunate day, and, and it kind of starts, so they lock themselves out of their house, and, and then it progresses to now they're being chased by the mob, and, and they end up like destroying their car and, and destroying their house, and they get the FBI after them, and the whole time, I'm too analytical. My brain's like, how are, th- how are they going to make this work? Right, this is never going to—their th- life is ruined, it doesn't matter what happens. This is never going to come out okay. It makes me feel uncomfortable again. Those moments of, of cliffhangers. I, I wonder, so who, who, quick show of hands, we'll get some engagement going around. This has just been me talking for way too long. Who enjoys cliffhangers, yeah? Okay, so we're about, we're about 50-50 split. Keep your hands up if you enjoy cliffhangers in your own life. Right, like those personal moments where, where maybe you walk up, you're at, you're at the grocery store, you pull out your F-Post card, and it's like, cliffhanger! right? I'm going to swipe it. I'm going to put in my pin. Who knows, right? Accepted, declined. We're going to find out. It's just so much fun. I love some anticipation in my life. Not so much, right? When it's someone else on, on, on the TV, kind of funny when it's cliffhanger. When it's us in our own life, I, I think you probably agree it's a little bit, little bit different. I don't know. Have you ever kind of walked out in your own life into, into a new day? You started going about and, and things have started going wrong? Things have kind of started turning in a way that you, you weren't expecting them to go. Maybe you felt a little bit like this. That was my cue to change to my next slide. Like this in this moment where I don't have a slide. There should be that one. Anyone ever felt like this? Right, this is me engaging meme culture to stay relevant. I'm, I'm young and hip. Don't worry about it. Right, like life's kind of burning down. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're like, no, it's, it's all right. Everything's fine. This is, this is exactly how I plan for things to go. This day was meant to fall apart like this, right? My life was meant to end up in this way. Today, I, w- I want to look at this story in 2 Kings, and I want to look at a thought that flows from this, from, this, from this story and from our Full Access series. The thought is, is, if God is with us in our everyday lives, what if God is with us in our everyday lives, but we're unable to see Him? And if so, what's stopping us? Right, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is near Sighted. I made that myself. It's, uh, I, was, I went to the optometrist for the first time in many years this week, and uh, I was inspired as I was at the optometrist. And I was like, I can make a slide. like the Everyone, get, you get that, eh? You, get, you can see the, the title there. You can see it says nearsighted. There was a little bit of anxiety as I was putting this together. I was like, this is either going to land and be great, or it's going to be a, a bit of a, an awkward slide. But moving on, I'm not going to tell you why it's called nearsighted. You'll find that out at the end. But the story, to get back to the Bible, enough of Jono talking about Jono things. 2 Kings, what, what's going on, right? Elisha wakes up, uh, Elisha's servant, sorry, wakes up one morning and, and he walks outside as I imagine he would have done every morning. And he sees that the, the city in which they're living is, is encircled by by an entire enemy army surrounding Dothan and, and he, where he and his master are living. And, and, and I guess the first kind of thought that jumps into my mind, at least, is why? Why is this whole army shown up to to try and uh, uh, presumably take Elisha captive, right? And, and what we need to know here is that Elisha is a special prophet. Elisha followed the, the prophet before him, Elijah, around for a long time, and, and now Elijah has gone to heaven and he's taken on Elijah's mantle of, of being the prophet for the, the nation of Israel, which means he has this incredible mantle to, to speak the word of God to the nation. But he also has this other thing going on. In addition to saying, hey, this is what God's saying, this is where we should go, Elisha has a superpower might not have known. But Elisha's got this incredible ability that, that he knows what the enemies of Israel are going to do before they do it. it. It says in chapter six that Aram, this is the enemy at the time, was at war with Israel. And the king of Aram decides to set an ambush for the army of Israel. And so Elisha goes to the king of Israel and he says, watch out for when you're passing this place because Aram has set an ambush for you. This, this kind of thing happens all the time. We, we read in 2 Kings chapter six, verses 11 to 12, that the the king's ambush has just gone wrong. And he says this, he turns to his his advisors and he says, the king of Aaron became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? Right, because somehow the ambush that he had planned has come to the knowledge of the nation of Israel and they've avoided it and and they've beaten the the kingdom of Aram again in in their kind of skirmishes. He's like, "Who's who's the rat? Right, who's telling the, the nation of Israel about our plans, what's going on? And they respond, it's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Right, so here Elisha is, he's not only giving the word of God to this nation, he's also super valuable to the nation when it comes to war. Right, he's the old school version of a, of a surveillance drone, except without the billion dollar price tag. So being Elisha's servant was a position of huge honor, This is the guy who gets to walk around, who gets to do life, who gets to to travel like Elisha did with Elijah, with this prophet who is not only bringing the word of God to a nation, but is single-handedly keeping this nation safe in matters of war. And you can imagine the king of Aram, when he finds out about what Elisha is doing, he's mad about it. And, and so a bounty has been placed on Elisha's head, which brings us to that morning when the servant opens the door and sees that the city of Dotham that they're living in is surrounded by an enemy army, right? Because the king of Aram's like, the only way we're going to win this war is if I take out Elisha. He sees that they're surrounded. Can, can you imagine it? Soldiers fanning out as far as the eye can see, right? Troops and horses and chariots. It's, it's the Old school equivalent of like the, the red laser dots on your chest when you walk out the door, yeah? He's like, man, we're in trouble. This was it. The servant's life probably flashes before his eyes. He's like, why? Why did I choose to get into the prophet-servant business, right? I should have done what my mum said and become a potter. No one ever gets surrounded by an enemy army when you're just making nice pottery. But no, I had to go and serve Elisha. And he turns to Elisha and he's like, what are we going to do, sir? What will we do now? To which Elisha responds, if we go to the next slide, do not be afraid. There are more on our side than on theirs. Right? They're, they're surrounded by troops. Did I mention that? I mentioned that they're surrounded. That there's so many troops that they can't actually count how many there are. There's this massive army. And, and so they can't count how many troops are against them, but they can count how many of them there are. There's Elisha and there's the servant, Right. Now, I don't want to be disparaging to Elisha and kind of his his mathematical prowess, but I think two is less than innumerably more than you can count, yeah? Do we have a consensus on on that agreement? That there's less of them than there are of of the army coming against them. And then Elisha prays, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the servant looks outside once more, and he still sees the, the soldiers. He still sees them in their armor and with their weapons. But now that wasn't all he saw. When he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. I think that John, it's a great story. It's fantastic. It's nice that this happened. But, but what's the point, right? I've got two points that I want to share with us today about, about what I think that we can do when, when maybe we know that God is for us. We know that God is meant to be with us in life. We, we've been in this full access series. We've heard, come on, God is for you. He's doing something. He's working on your behalf. God has a plan and a purpose for you. But if you're honest in your everyday life, you're like, I don't know if I can feel that. I don't know if I can see God at work. I don't know if that rings true to my experience. Two things that, that we can do that can help us. The first one is we need to see God in the unseen. See, what's so important about the story is that the chariots of fire didn't show up when the servant's eyes were opened. Right, the chariots of fire were there the whole time. He just couldn't see them. They were present but invisible. The servant was staring at them every time he looked outside. He just didn't know it. And so then the question becomes, so the servant couldn't see that the army of God was there, but Elisha could, right? And and, and so why could Elisha see what, what others couldn't? Why could Elisha see the army before the servant could? Maybe it was because Elisha often looked to see things that others couldn't. Maybe it was because he'd looked before. Biblical trivia, did you know who's, who's uh, the person who performs the most recorded miracles in the Old Testament, right? Any, any givers, any goers? Hint, we're talking about him quite a bit in this moment. Elisha, you guys are amazing, right? We've got some uh, budding theologians in the room. Elisha has the most recorded miracles in the Old Testament. And I think one of the reasons for that is because he was always looking to be a part of God moving. He was always looking for God. What are you doing? And because he was always looking, he saw the places that God wanted to move. Some examples of this, in Second in Kings chapter 3, verses 16 to 20, the Israelite army is again at war. This happens a lot in the Old Testament. This time, they're not so much fighting uh, Aram, they're still fighting them on the side, but they're at war against the king of Moab. And so they're actually kind of traveling out to fight the king of Moab and they get stuck. Have you ever been uh, been driving and you think that you've got enough petrol to, to get somewhere and then the, the petrol light comes on and you realize I'm not so certain anymore if I do have enough petrol, right? Being from the North Island, I'm not used to these massive expanses we have in the South Island where there's, there's no petrol stations for like a couple of hours. You drive up the, the North Island and there's a petrol station every like 30 to 20 minutes, right? You can just stop whenever you want. The South Island, you're kind of getting picked in and you drive down the coast. And it's like, if you do not have a full tank now and you've got a small tank, you may not be making it to where you want to go, right? Like you might be having a bit of a hitchhike, fill up a can and and come back to the car sort of moment. This is what happens to the the army in, in this passage. Not petrol, right? But water. They're traveling and they're going to war and they think they've got enough water, but they run out halfway through this desert that they're traveling through. They're like, we've just annihilated ourselves. Right, we're stuck with not enough water to get back, not enough water to push on. We don't even have to, King of Moab doesn't have to do anything. We've defeated ourselves. We're in so much trouble. And Elisha is there with them, and he, and he says, no, no, wait, I believe that God's going to provide, start digging ditches. And they're like, what, well, are going to dig ditches to, like, die in? That's a bit, okay, sure, I mean, we might as well get this over and done with. Thanks, Elisha, word of God, real handy. So they start digging these ditches. And they dig these ditches, and then it just so happens that, that in the morning, There's a flash flood, right? This flash flood just comes into the valley and is through it in a moment, there and gone. It would have been useless. They would not have been able to collect any water except for the fact that they dug these ditches, which now all of a sudden were filled with fresh water. See, Elisha is in the middle of this moment where everyone else saw disaster. Everyone else saw we're doomed, we've gone the wrong way, we're in trouble, and Elisha sees provision. He saw a downpour and a drought. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 2 to 7, Elisha meets a widow, right, and she's about to lose her sons to her debtors. She's built up too much debt, and the debtors are now saying, we're going to take your sons into captivity. They're going to become slaves, essentially. And it says that, that he encounters her, and he says, what can I do to help you? What do you have in the house? And she replies, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. And so Elisha tells her, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it's filled. And so she does what he tells them to do and her sons keep on bringing jars to her and she fills one after another, after another, after another, until every container in her house was full to the brim from one flask of olive oil. And Elisha tells her, sell the olive oil that you have to pay the debts and then you and your sons can live on what's left over there's plenty there. See, when everyone else saw bondage, Elisha saw freedom. Again, in in 2 Kings, the the last example I'll give, chapter 4, verses 8 to 17, uh, a wealthy woman invites uh, Elisha over for a meal, right? And and Elisha asks, hey, what can I do in return for this hospitality? It's, It's very generous of you. And the lady says, look, nothing. You can do nothing for me. And so as they leave, Elisha asks his servant uh, what the lady and her husband might need. And the servant explains that she doesn't have a son, have a son, sorry, and her husband is an old man. If you get the inference, right? That they're in need of an heir and there is no way of providing an heir naturally. And Elisha says to her, you'll have a son by the next time I see you. And she says to him, please, don't get my hopes up. Don't string me along. Don't, don't give me this hope and then just leave. If, if this is gonna happen, you can't just... Don't, don't leave me in this, in this place of wanting and longing. But a year later, Elisha comes back and the lady has had a son. Where everyone else saw a barren lady, Elisha saw a child. And then one day, this very son, this child is a young boy and he goes out to help his father in the field and he drops dead. And so Elisha comes back and everyone thinks, oh man, this is so sad. This lady who wanted a child, finally had a child. Now this child is dead. What a sad, sad situation. And Elisha says, no, this is not the end where everyone else saw a dead body. Elisha saw resurrection and that child was raised to life. See, I share these examples because Elisha trusted each and every time and he's seen what God could do for someone else. But he believed, God, you're going to move for them. God, I believe you're going to have breakthrough for them. And as a result, he didn't struggle to see where God was moving when he needed him. See, I wonder, could we grow the muscle of faith in our lives? Maybe it's going to require, first of all, for us to believe with others. I'm believing for your breakthrough. I'm praying. I'm engaging faith that something's going to happen for you. And as we do that, as we build up the testimonies that we have when we encounter something that we need to believe for, A, we've got others who are going to believe with us. And B, we've got some, some faith built up that we're like, hey, God's come through before. I know that he can do it again. See, as I said, it, it doesn't say that, that when Elisha prayed, the Lord sent the horses and chariots. Right? It, it says that when Elisha prayed, the servant would see the help that was already there. See, they were were already there. The servant just couldn't see them, but Elisha could because he'd built up that muscle of faith. See, I wonder, where is God with us, but but we can't see him? Where is God already there? See, I, I believe that the question is never, is God with me? It's always, can I see God? Where is God working? God, I know that you're working. Would you help me to see it? And it's all right to feel like he's not. It's an all right emotion to encounter when things are hard to be like, man, I I know in my mind, I know in my heart, I know in my trust in the character of God that God is working. I just really, for the life of me, I can't figure out where he's working. I can't see what he's doing. But it's important to remember just because we can't see it doesn't mean that he isn't. And so maybe the prayer that we need to pray isn't, God, would you just get off your bum and do something? But as God, I know that you're at work. I know that you are good. I know that you are trustworthy. Would you help me to see what you're doing in this situation? Which leads me to ask, if God is working, why can't we see Him? Right, it's all well and good to say, oh, Elisha built up the muscle of faith, and we want to do that in our own lives, but sometimes we can still encounter situations where we want to believe that God is working. We want to believe that God is doing something, but we still can't see it for ourselves, yeah? He like, God, I, I know that you're at work. I know you're doing something, but I can't see it. My second point and my final point today is we need to see God through our problems. See, see when, when God opened the servant's eyes to see the unseen army, he still saw the enemy soldiers, right? That they didn't go away. But what changed was he was no longer afraid of them. And, and I wonder, why was the servant no longer afraid of the enemy army? Right, we we can read this and think that the chariots are now standing in between Elisha and the army, right, like some sort of like a divine bouncer. Like here's Elisha and the servant, and and then they pray, and in front of them, like a wall of fire, a holy wall, the the chariots just appear, and the servant's like, oh man, we are safe. They're going to have to get through these chariots before they ever touch us. But the reality is, if we read into this a little bit more, that that, that's not actually what what goes on. It would be nice to hide behind an an army of angels, but, but it says instead that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And see, I think this is important because I think that we need to understand that if we choose to follow Jesus, we can see things differently, that our help is here, that God is with us. But we also need to understand that the hills aren't inside the city. So, so the army of God is, isn't around Elisha facing out. Instead, the enemies are around the city, right? Elisha and the servant are inside the city, and the hillside is around the enemies. So if the, the army of God is on the hills, where is the army of God? It's not surrounding just Elisha and the servant as a protective barrier. It's on the outside of them, surrounding what is surrounding them. On the inside facing from the outside in, surrounding the enemies from the outside in. See, I think so often in life, we want God to protect us from the inside out. Yeah, protect, to protect us from hardship. And as a result, we can pray prayers like, oh God, please don't let anything bad happen to me. Don't let any need come into my life as if our faith is meant to, to isolate us. But I believe that doesn't make sense because if you couldn't see the problems, if you weren't aware of them, eventually you'd probably forget that they existed. And then, if you didn't have problems, you'd probably stop. If you're anything like me, looking to God. And then, if you're no longer looking to God, of course, the thing you would naturally look at is, is yourself, right? We become introspective. We start looking inward, and, and we start thinking it was us. Man, no enemy is attacking me. No one's surrounding me. This doesn't seem to be any problems. It must be because I'm awesome must be because I'm so incredibly capable that I've just got life sorted that no army would ever come and knock on my door because I'm so big and bad and tough. And actually, I'm, I'm probably I'm pretty much God in my life. And then we might go to the army of God that's around us, protecting us. And we're like, hey, look, I think I've got this sorted. You can probably, uh, probably take five, right? Jog on. And then before we know it, the enemy army rides up on us and we're surprised. Oh, yeah, no, I sent away my help. I think so often, more often than not, God will protect us in hardship, that He'll surround what's surrounding us. And and you might be here today, you might be thinking, I'm pretty sure He's not. I'm pretty sure He's not surrounding what's surrounding me because all I can see are my problems, all I can see are my needs and my hurts and my past and my guilt and the things coming against me. And and I'm not going to try and imagine today what might be happening in this room. But maybe we can't see the army on the hill because we're too distracted by the enemies in front of us. See, I want to suggest if you're here today and you're feeling hemmed in, you're feeling under pressure, you've been asking yourself, Where is God? I just want you to go away with one idea. Maybe even this idea isn't for you. Maybe we've got friends who needed to be here today, but they're so hemmed in by their problems that they didn't feel like they could even get into the room. They had something else they prioritized. Maybe you can take this to them. That sometimes when we can't see it, when we can't see God's help, it's behind our problems. That maybe God wants to show you His strength, but we might have to see it through our weakness. That you might need to see that your help is coming from the hills and that the hills are surrounding the city. That the enemy is around the city, but that God is in the hills. And so to see God, you might just need to see through your problems. You know, I I told you that the sermon today was titled Nearsighted, right? And and the reason for that is, if we go to the next slide, is because when you're nearsighted, it's a... Sorry, the one after that. It's a focus issue. This is an eye. Right? And what happens when you're nearsighted is, is that yellow thing, as far as I understand, again, I'm not an optometrist, but that's your vision, right? That's what you see. And when you're nearsighted, what happens is rather than your vision coming all the way to your back of your eye, to your retina, and being processed in the proper place, it falls a little bit too short and you process it before rather than after your retina. Now what this means is if you're nearsighted and some of you are like, no, I know, I've I've got glasses for this. But when you're nearsighted, what happens is that you can see things that are close. They appear normal. But anything in the distance becomes blurry, becomes out of focus, becomes hard to identify. Could it be that, that we're living a life in which we are spiritually nearsighted? in which all we can see are the problems immediately in front of us, and we're focusing in such a way that we cannot see past them to the help that is for us on the hills. Could it be that today we might need to, to, to learn how to focus on something else, which would help us to stretch out our vision to see that we where God is. In a minute, I'm gonna invite the band to, to lead us in a refrain. And maybe you could stand to your feet bow your heads and close your eyes we're done but I just want you to to think on these two thoughts number one where do you need to see God where is it in your life that, that you feel like God's not there God's not present God's not where you need him to be could I remind you today that he's on the hill that he always has been that he's on your side that he's surrounding what's surrounding you But To see Him, you need to see through your struggles and your problems. And and, and to do that, to focus past them, as we do that, they begin to change. As we begin to not just focus on the things that we're going through as real and as as immense as they might be, not to diminish the situations you might be in or come to be in or your friends and family might be in, but to say, hey, look, I can't change the situation, but I can change what I'm focusing on. I'm not gonna magnify my situation, I'm not gonna magnify the problems, I'm not just gonna look at the enemy surrounding my city, I'm gonna look to the hills. And to believe that as we look to the hills, as we shift our focus, we'll see that where does our help come from? But from the hills. And as we do that, maybe in comparison to God's army on the hills, the enemy army surrounding us might change in perspective a little bit. Actually, that doesn't look so big. Actually, that doesn't look so hard in comparison to who God is. Maybe today we're spiritually nearsighted. We can only see the things in front of us, and and our prayer needs to be, God, would you stretch out my vision? God, would you help me to see beyond this? Would you help me to see that you are at work? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.